All right, we are continuing in the hard sayings of Jesus series this morning in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 to 53. These are the words of Jesus. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Thanks, Sydney. Good morning. Uh, When Cindy and I were first dating, I remember on at least two occasions that her dad had, you know, big questions for me as he was getting to know me and as I was approaching this time where I might become more a part of his family for the long term. And uh, two moments that really kind of stuck out to me in terms of uh, our relationship as as we ultimately became a family. Uh, The first was when we were um, in Oakland. Uh, Cindy was living in Oakland at the time, I was in Berkeley. They were visiting from Southern California. They had rented a car. We were heading back, I think from the gym there, back to Cindy's place. And I'll never forget, we were getting ready to get on the freeway. And Cindy's dad asked this question that obviously he'd been thinking a lot about because the question didn't just come out just straightforward as as if the question was just in itself the question. He had more he was thinking about. He said, David, uh, we, you know, Cindy and and her mother and I are, are both, of course, Chinese immigrants and we speak a lot of Chinese. Um, and, you know, we've always done that, you know, we just Cindy and her brother that way. I, I want to know, is, 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 that o- is that okay with you? Are you, are you comfortable with us uh, speaking Chinese around you? Is that, is that okay? And it, that question kind of hung there for a moment. Like, I could feel in the air of the car, like, this is a, a big question, right? Um, to which I just got really excited about, because, I mean, all I wanted to say was, like, are you kidding? Of course you could talk Chinese. I mean, first of all, I want you to feel comfortable. I'll go ahead and do that. Even if I don't understand, that's fine. But second of all, I'd love to learn. Would you teach me? And uh, he's just, I just received my first Chinese lesson from her dad that day. It's like the whole ride home was just this exciting, you know, time. I'll never forget that. That was just a big moment uh, for him, for me even, at least as I, as I remember that experience. The other question, though, was, was one where, you know, it's not the kind of question you would ask, you know, your first, second, maybe even third time of getting to know each other. Um, he, he pulled me off uh, to the side and into a room just, just with himself uh, alone. And he said, he said, David, I've got a question for you. I said, yeah, sure. He said, hey, um, I know that for you and Cindy, your Christian faith is not just a part of your lives. It's like central to your lives. Like, I, I get that. Uh, to Cindy and her mother, to us, family is of utmost importance. Can I ask you, does your faith allow for you to take care of us in our older age? That was my response. And I was just, I, I, I said, hey, you know, uh, Michael, uh, let me quote for you um, a text here. By the way, it's our text today. It said, I said, Michael, Jesus said, I have come to bring division. Now you know that family would be divided, father-in-law against son-in-law and son-in-law against father. And so, Michael, you just need to know. I did not quote today's text. I did not, I did not, I did not quote today's text. did not do that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not sure the story would end with us being married. But I, I quoted for him in all sincerity. I'm kind of taking some of the funness out of that moment. But I actually quoted him 1 Timothy 5.8, which says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I said, Michael, if there's anything, if, if anything, the faith compels us to take care of you take care of, of, of everyone as, as best we can. Of course, 
And it was in that moment that, you know, a lot of uh, joy uh, came out of that. Um, I share this story by way of introducing our topic and asking this question, well, which is it? Is it, is it, hey, take care of your family, you better take care of your family, or the text that we look at today where Jesus says, hey, I've come to divide families? Or is it, I'm, you know, I'm turning father against son and son against, uh, and, and mother against uh, uh, daughter? Or, you know, the text that we looked at, at last week, by the way, when Jesus quoted the t- one of the Ten Commandments saying, honor your father and mother. Uh, which is it, Jesus? Um, what we have in front of us today is another hard saying. And as we have been seeing as we've been going through this, they are hard in the sense of challenging either to get our minds around or to apply our lives to. Um, but as challenging or as hard as they might be or seem to be, uh, they are also incredibly beautiful and incredibly life-giving and powerful for our lives. So what is Jesus meaning here today? Um, Here, what we're going to see in this text is at least two things about Jesus that are of critical importance. Two things that if we don't understand these about Jesus, we actually don't understand him at all. Uh, We're going to be looking at Jesus' division, the division he he brought, and Jesus' agony. That is the the agony that he felt. So Jesus' division and Jesus' agony. So first, let's look at Jesus' division in verses 51 through 53. In verse 51, he says, Do you think I come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Uh, isn't that interesting, these wor- uh, c- considering these words in light of the fact that we are still in the winter season when we celebrated Christmas? Because isn't Christmas all about Jesus bringing peace on earth? Isn't there that you know, time where the angels sing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on whom his, his favor rests? Didn't Jesus come to bring peace? And yet here he's saying, no, I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring division. Which is it, Jesus? Did you come to bring peace or no? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. Um, don't worry, Christmas is still saved. Jesus did come to bring peace in a very real sense. Um, but the, the type of peace that he's talking about specifically here in this text is different than the ultimate peace offered through the Christmas story. Um, what he's talking about here is relational peace. And that's why he goes on to say, from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. What he's saying is, on account of me, you will experience these things. You will experience relational lack of peace. On account of me, verse 53, they will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Jesus did not come to bring relational peace on earth, at least his first time around. What he's saying here, in fact, is in certain respects, if you follow me, it's actually going to increase your lack of relational peace. Um, Why is that? Why is that? Is that because Jesus came teaching, hey, you just need to figure out a way to really bring about relational strife with the people you love and care about? That's not what Jesus teaches. If anything, that's the opposite of what Jesus taught. He taught us to be selfless, loving, servant-minded, and yet there's a reality that we'll experience a lack of peace on account of him. Why is that? The reason is because Jesus is inherently dividing. His teachings inherently divide. Jesus on his own terms does not allow us to remain neutral toward him. Um, He forces the matter. It's polarizing in a sense. You have to make up your mind about me, he says. There's been many religious leaders down the ages who have taught about following God or gods or whatever it might be in ways that are far different than how Jesus actually uniquely teaches it. Uh, Essentially, all 
religious teachers down the ages have said, hey, here's the path, follow this path, here you get to God. But Jesus said, actually, no, 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 I'm the path. At one point, he just says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Um, What many will do, including in our culture, is we'll think of Jesus as a nice religious moral teacher, but he doesn't leave room for that on his own terms. You have to come to grips with him and what he says. It's been famously said that if, if, if he's not the son of God, the savior of the world, then he has to be one of three things, insane, delusional, or a pathological liar. Or else he is, but we can't remain, he is son of God, or else we can't leave him in the nice religious teacher, teacher category. Uh, in fact, there have been a number of religious leaders that don't easily come to mind because they don't really stick in history, who have taught like Jesus, follow me, I'm God, come this way. But they haven't had all that many followers uh, down the ages. Jesus, on the other hand, was making these enormous claims about himself, and yet the droves were coming out to follow him and believe in him. Why is that? These enormous claims, I'm the son of God, I have, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. How come people were following him? That's because coupled with these enormous claims was this life that people couldn't help but see as just the most humble, the most selfless, the most sacrificial that they had never seen before. And so people were drawn to him. People believed in him, much in the same way people are today. Because if he's not insane, if he's not delusional, if he's not a liar, then he really is God. He really is Lord and Savior. And here's why, by the way, Jesus divides. Jesus divides because he loves us too much. Jesus wants nothing less than all of us. Uh, Put differently, he wants all of our heart's affections Um, because he knows only he, only God, can fulfill and meet our truest and deepest longings in life. Only he can love us unconditionally. He is our Father. He is our Savior. He is our Lord which, by the way, is why he says at a number of points to those who are following him, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Um, If you follow Jesus, let me ask you, has it changed your life? Does it influence the way you go about making decisions? Or maybe even more pertinent to our text today, does it affect your relationships? Because I think what Jesus is questioning for us here, at least logically speaking, if it doesn't influence our relationships, do we follow him truly? Uh, Jesus came to divide. Not because, again, he loves strife or or pain or anything like that. No, his teachings really reject all those things. But because on account of him, it will naturally bring about some lack of relational peace. Uh, When Cindy was in her senior year of college, one of her friends challenged them uh, her group of, of, of buddies, to live the first year after college kind of in vocational ministry, like going out into the world and living as a missionary or doing something like that. And she felt that maybe God was calling her to use that year and go live in China, tell people about Jesus, kind of spend time uh, helping people do that. The only caveat to that is she had already kind of signed up to uh, with this job at a, at a very promising uh, consulting firm. So uh, when she told her parents, uh, you might not be surprised to think that her parents uh, were not having too much of that. <laughs> they said the equivalent in Chinese, oh, heck no. Uh, you, you're, you're not going, right? Um, sounds much better in Chinese, but um, there was a lot of conversation. There were a lot of tears. Cindy was torn. She was torn because, well, let's put it this way. 
Here's what Cindy did not do in that instance. She didn't go and she said, hey, mom and dad, I feel like God's calling me to do this wonderful thing. And you know what? Screw you, I'm doing it. <laughs> right? Not that she would do that, okay? She, Cindy wouldn't do that. <laughs> but that's not what she would ever do. Why? Because there's that little thing in Scripture that calls us to honor our parents. Even if we feel called to do something for the Lord, who's our first and foremost, has our ultimate allegiance and we're following him, she would never go and just be like, you know what? I don't care what you think, mom and dad. Because that's not what Jesus would call her to do, calls us to do. Uh, in loving and honoring her father and mother, uh, Jesus in our text, again, is not saying go out and be divisive. Uh, no, he wants us to honor, love sacrificially. And so Cindy was torn. Why? Because she was wrestling with two things here. One, loving and serving and honoring her parents while at the same time trying to figure out what God was doing in her life, maybe even calling her to go to live in China. You, you following me? And so she wrestled through with it. She prayed about it. She sought counsel. And in the end, she felt a peace from God in her spirit that maybe the timing was just not right. And so she went back to her parents. And instead of taking a year's time going and living in China, she took six weeks. And uh, everybody was happy. Um, even as Cindy continued to pray through and think about what that might look like in her life. Uh, you know, thinking about another example in terms of, you know, what impact following Jesus can have in a relationship, I think of a friend who came here early on in the life of Current and was uh, baptized here, but it was a baptism that almost never actually occurred. It's really interesting. He came and put his came to put his faith in Jesus, and, you know, I was just encouraging him with, without trying to pressure him or make him feel like he had to do this or whatever. I was just like, you know, next step would be baptism, much like we talked about today, and as Cindy was mentioning. And he said, you know, I, no, that's not, that's not for me. I said, well, okay, you know, this is obviously something Jesus would encourage you to do, but again, no pressure here. You, you work that out, and, you know, I'm here to talk about it if you ever want to talk about it. Well, you know, a little bit later, uh, a good while later, he called me up out of the blue, and he said, David, I'm actually ready to be baptized. I said, that's awesome. Like, what, what's the change in heart? Like, what, what happened? And he said, you know, the reason why I didn't want to be baptized is because my dad is Buddhist, and I know if I'm baptized, my faith will become public. It'll get back to him, and he'll, it'll, it, it, could, it could devastate him. And I was, I was reflecting that, on that with him. I was like, wow, this guys he's really understanding what we're talking about here and wrestling through things that are not easy, at the same time, something that, you know, God cares about and all those, all those sorts of, from all its different angles and people involved. But then he went on to say, but I realized that I wasn't being genuine or faithful to the one who died for me <laughs> to bring me into his family. And I realized that even though I don't know how my dad's going to respond potentially here, it could devastate him, it could, I don't know. But perhaps the most loving thing I could actually do is to go ahead and get baptized in the hopes of pointing my dad to Jesus. Christian friends, what has your relationship to Christ done to your other relationships? Does it influence it at all? Does it impact it at all? Genuine faith in Jesus is marked by a changed life. When he sits on the throne of our life, as we like to say, it influences even, especially, we might even say, our closest of relationships. That's the division that Jesus brought. And now let's look at his agony that he was feeling. Uh, let's look at uh, Luke 12, verses 49 and 48. Jesus' agony. Jesus said, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under, that is, how distressed I am until it is completed. What's really interesting about this text is that 
we actually get a rare glimpse into Jesus' inner thought life, like his inner feelings, like his, 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 how he was kind of his inner life. He's seeing, he's feeling da- down to his core something that's on his horizon, something that until it's over, he's living in great distress which actually the word underneath our English translation there means it's like an army is besieging him. You know, in the ancient days when the old cities would protect themselves, their city walls and armies would come and just, just bombard, bombard, bombard until the city was ultimately crushed. That's what Jesus was feeling here. In other words, we see that he's, he has this great agony. Uh, what is this agony though? Uh, what, what did this look like? What, what was it exactly? He says two things about it. First, he says, I've come to bring fire. Now, what does that mean? Uh, really quick, um, what some people might think upon first hearing that, if you know your Bible, is, oh, Jesus must be referencing the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes in the scriptures, it, the, the Holy Spirit is referred to as fire. For instance, on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit, like tongues of fire, descend upon the disciples. The only problem with this understanding is Jesus is longing for this, but he's also kind of dreading this. I don't think you dread the Holy Spirit coming let alone, by the way, the division he talks about shortly after because of this. Um, So he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is talking about here with the word fire is judgment. Now, judgment, uh, what we see here is Jesus, whose whole life was about serving and caring for people, living selflessly, sacrificially, on the one hand, is dreading this, dreading what he faces, but at the same time, on the other hand, it's something he actually also longs for. Longing for judgment? Actually, yeah, even out of a heart of love. How can that be? In the Bible, judgment is often referred to, as Jesus does, by the word fire. And it's ultimately meant to talk about its refining element, how it restores, how it redeems, how fire purifies Have you ever been to a place, say, at like, you know, a hotel where they have a little like lounging area outside, there's a little fire pit, where there's a communal s'more pit? Have you ever been to those and you see all the like metal skewers out there that are just crusted over with marshmallows? (laughs) You ever seen those? You know what I'm talking about? uh, Cindy and I took the kids to one over the Christmas break and uh, they had these s'more kits in the lobby, which just made them excited. Eight-year-old, five-year-old thinking about roasting marshmallows, you know, putting them on chocolate, all that whole thing. They were super excited until they got out to the pit and saw all the nasty metal skewers, which means you know it's bad if, you know, if, if your little kids don't want to do it, right? It's like, ah, oh, we don't want to do it. It's too gross. And I said, hey, come back, because they were starting to walk away. I said, come back. You, you guys will see how this works, okay? And I, of course, took two metal skewers, thrusted them into the deepest part of the fire, and had them watch, and slowly but surely, all the mushroom crust of families past began to like, you know, come off. And of course, also some of the unseen impurities were coming off such that you'd like to think, at least as a parent, that that's somewhat hygienic to eat from. Anyhow, um, look, it's really easy to think of judgment and and the the day of judgment in in the Bible as a bad thing purely. Um, Look, Jesus here is saying it's severe, you know, this idea of fire. But ultimately, ultimately, it's good. In fact, it's something everybody, in a way, it seems to me, actually wants. How's that? If there's no judgment, it means there's no wrongs that will ever be made right. If there's no judgment, it means right and wrong don't exist. 
If there's no judgment, it means ultimately there's no reason to work for things that are good because in the end, they, it won't really matter. In fact, they will only ever f- burn up with the fire of the sun. But deep down, we not only believe that there's an ultimate sense of right and good, I think ultimately we deep down long for it. Um, that's why so many of our stories are about good triumphing over evil. We all long for it. And friends, good will ultimately triumph over evil. But if that fire were just to be set loose on the earth, none would withstand its flames. For we all deep down, I believe, if we're honest about it, also know that we aren't good or live the right lives as we ought to, which incidentally is why there's so much relational strife in the world, right? Because we don't play nice We can't play nice, even with those people who see life similarly to us. Even in the best of families, even in the best of churches, there's squabbling, there's there's strife, there's any sort of fighting and harm that we impose on each other, and often without wanting to do the legwork of trying to bring healing and restoration. Um, So what's the solution? Uh, Jesus longed for good to triumph, for right to win the day. And as it says in Amos 5, that justice would roll on like a river, righteousness like a uh, never-failing stream. But the only way for that to happen, Jesus goes on to say, is he had to undergo a baptism. And how distressed I am, he said, until it is completed. Now, what is this baptism he talks about? Okay, He's not talking about water baptism because he'd already, by Luke chapter 12, been baptized by water, by John the Baptist in in the Jordan River. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about a different kind of baptism. There's a place in Mark 10 where two of his disciples, James and John, are walking alongside Jesus, and they get this idea that they thought they'd throw past Jesus. They say, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, hey, uh, can we be your right-hand and left-hand guys? Can we be your VIPs, your main dudes? Is that, can we do that? And it says, Jesus looked at them and said, can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Or can you drink the cup I drink? Which is really helpful for us to understand this text because that's the same wording Jesus used in the garden of Gethsemane when he went to the cross. When he prayed, Father, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. May this cup pass from me. What does that mean, the cup? Well, in the scriptures over and over again in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus' life and ministry, the cup represented God's judgment, God's wrath to be poured out for all the sins of the world, for all the wrongs and hurts and pain that is caused. And incidentally, that's why we mourn the wrongs in the world, the pain, the suffering, that, that we see because we're made in the image of God who mourns these things and, by the way, demands justice in all these things. But the only way for this justice to occur without sweeping us away with it was for Jesus to drink the cup of judgment, was for him to undergo the baptism of fire. This is really at the heart of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. That's what the cross is all about, that Jesus underwent a baptism of fire on the cross. You know, in the Bible, it doesn't talk a whole lot about the physical pain of the crucifixion. I mean, the, the crucifixion, you know, physically was not a fun way to go. Okay, we all know that. I'm, sh- I'm sorry, I don't mean to make light of it. So it. People are dying today of crucifixion. It's a horrible way to go. But the Bible doesn't really highlight the fact that it was painful physically or emotionally. 
what the Bible highlights is that it was death spiritually for Jesus. That Jesus on the cross, as he was undergoing a baptism of fire, as he was drinking the cup of judgment, is he was being eternally separated from God, his Father. Which, by the way, is interesting to consider in light of our text today because we're talking about how we, as his followers, are, are gonna experience, on account of him, lack of relational peace. Well, on the cross, Jesus experienced not just the kind of lack of peace, not just a little bit of strife, but complete enmity with his heavenly Father drinking the cup of judgment for us, for you and for me. That's why Jesus brings division. He brings division because he says, you have to come to me. There's no other way. There's no other way that good wins out. You have to receive me and what I've done for you. It's not about trying to live a good life. It's not about trying to get your act together with your relationships. We can try only get a certain distance there, but it's about receiving by faith alone who Jesus is and what he's come to do for us. That is what Jesus longed for. That is what Jesus agonized for and longs for today, most of all, for you to receive him, which by the way, you can do today. And it's for this reason that we seek to love, we seek to care, we seek to serve those around us in his name, even if they might be confused or disappointed or hurt. Or, or, or upset that we follow him or trying our best to um, because we want to extend to them, to everyone, the same selfless, sacrificial love that he offers us. Uh, after Cindy and I had been married about a year, uh, we told her parents that we felt uh, God was calling us to go, and they weren't too happy about that either. <laughs> um, where I left off the story was Cindy had said, you know, I feel like maybe God was wanting me to go to China at some point. And so she, she wanted to go for a year, but she was wrestling through and she felt, you know, peace in her spirit that maybe God wasn't calling her to do it for that length of time. So she just went for six weeks and maybe God would call her back to, in, you know, in the, in the future. Well, she ended up meeting a guy uh, who happened to grow a heart on his own apart from her for uh, a heart for China. I had spent time in different countries and, you know, telling people about Jesus, working in orphanages, all that sort of thing. But it was in China, of all places, that I felt just down to my core, I, don't, I can't explain it otherwise, that, man, I feel like, God, you want me to be here at some point in my life. I can't explain it otherwise. It's just like, I feel like I'm probably spending some of my life here. Okay, next thought, and just move on. And then I met Cindy. And then so Cindy and I, when we were getting to know each other, it was kind of one of these, like, interactions of, like, wait, you have a heart for China? I feel like God's called you to, but you, David, feel like you have a heart for China? kind of? we should probably go. Like, we should probably, like, take this seriously. And so we're like, we don't have kids. Let's just do this. Um, so we told her parents, and her parents weren't, weren't too thrilled about that because they didn't want to see their baby girl move thousands, thousands of miles away. By the way, they also didn't want to see their girl give up a quickly upward-trending career where she was just killing it in the corporate sense. Um, they didn't want to see her do that. And actually, frankly, I'm not sure we wanted to see that. That was one of our big wrestles in the midst of all that. But of all the like, you know, long pro list and the short con list, we're like, we got, we got to do this. We got to do this. So we, as best we could, in, in honoring them and caring for them, we heard their objections. We listened. We had many conversations. There was a lot of tears. And ultimately, we felt we needed to go, and we went. And you know what's um, ironic about all of this? It was actually... The reason of leaving them was probably hardest of all to actually go because we, if anything, we wanted to stay close to them and share more about the love of Jesus with them. But we ended up going and we ended up seeing God just in his own wise plan work in their lives and in our lives. 
such that in the end of all this, before Cindy's dad passed away, they ultimately put their faith in Jesus. And uh, we got to be there at their baptism. And we got to be there at his memorial service that was just packed out, room three times the size, just so many people all there to kind of pay the respects. And so many people that he had in a very real way, even in the last few years of his life, touched with the love of Jesus. Um, Look, this text takes on a new meaning for me as I was sitting down and studying it. Like, this is a hard text. Let's be real. Those of you who follow Jesus and are trying to come, or trying to come to grips with Jesus' teaching, these are hard sayings. I've come to bring division. It's not all easy. There's gonna be lack of relational strife. I don't want that. And in fact, I just shared a story of it, like, hey, here's the happy bow, you know, tie up in a bow ending. But that's not what we were experiencing over here. And by the way, I'm not trying to suggest by sharing the story that if you do this, you do this, the formula is then those that you love, if that's you, who don't know Jesus, will put their faith in Jesus. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is Jesus said that there's going to be a lack of relational peace in our life, but he is good. He longs for those in our lives far more than we long for those in our lives love them ourselves. And so what's our part in this? Our part in this is to faithfully, as best we can, follow him. Sometimes following him will make relationships hard. We may have to say no to certain relationships, or we may have to be okay with a season of division in other types of relationships. In fact, if we're not experiencing relational discomfort on account of him, are we actually following him? Uh, For those of you who have never put your faith in him, here's the invitation to put your faith in him today. Uh, One of my favorite verses in in the Bible is, to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. He gives an invitation to come into his family through faith in him and what he's done for you. And to those who have received him, how has following him impacted your life? Most specifically, your relationships. Has it? Does it? If you don't feel like it really does, that's something we can take to him in prayer, work through with him as we think about what this might mean in our lives. Or if it has brought some relational strife, how can you seek God in the midst of that and work that through with him? knowing that he wants us to love and care for those in our lives as he loves and cares for us in them as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that even when it's a hard saying, hard in the sense of getting our minds around it or hard in the sense of applying it to our lives, we know ultimately it is good. And ultimately it all points us to your loving sacrifice to us on the cross. Thank you for experiencing Eternal separation from your Father for us. Thank you for drinking the cup of judgment. Thank you for undergoing the baptism of fire. Lord, we just, we don't deserve your love for us. Thank you for bringing us into the family, not based on anything we can do, but based entirely on what you have done for us. We, we thank you. And Father, would you help us as a church, as, as, a, as a body of people, also as individuals, try our best to follow you in these ways. We need, we need your help. We'll be the first to confess that. Would you help us in our relationships first, uh, put you first. And if we struggle with that, or maybe we don't struggle with that, we don't have any struggles in, in that, Lord, would you, would you show us how we can follow you and honor you in that way? And where it is hard, perhaps this message for a number of folks here really stirs up a lot of emotions because family Close friends are people we, we care deeply about. Lord, would you give us your peace to know that you love them far more deeply than even we can. 
and that you hold them as you hold ourselves into your loving hands, your nail-marked hands. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.